Welcome to Call and Shots. This is Seth Partnow. Uh, this is another uh, in the can episode that I recorded a week earlier since I'm traveling this week. i uh recording it on the, the day off between game twos of all the second round series. So if we talk about something that sounds a little dated by the time you, you hear this, uh, that's why. Uh, my guest today is, uh, I don't know how to, how to best describe him, um, <laughs> noted uh, Twitter analytics gadfly, especially of all teams, Toronto. Uh, <laughs> you may know him as Yolo Pinato. It's uh, Chris Watkins, uh, um, uh, an excellent hockey, anal- uh, ho- hockey analyst at times, and um, all-around interesting conversationalist who um, basically said, hey, I want to come on your podcast and tell you what you did wrong in your book. <laughs> Paraphrasing. So this is actually going to be, you know, be easily the most self-indulgent episode we've ever done because uh, I'm inviting someone to come on my podcast to talk about my book. So that's what <laughs> we're going to do. So first of all, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. No, happy to be here. Uh, you know, definitely thank you for the opportunity to, to critique you on your book. But no, I mean, uh, I, I'm not a big reader. Uh, it took me a couple months to get through this uh, while I was getting my hair done every couple of weeks. Uh, but, uh, you know, I found myself agreeing with a lot and then also like writing in the margins <laughs> like, no, 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 I, I don't agree with this. How dare Seth? Uh, but no, no, it's great. Uh, thank you. Thanks for bringing me on. Well, cool. So let's that, that, that's. You know, I haven't actually had much like back and forth about you know the contents of the book. And if you if you haven't read the mid range theory yet, a why not? But b, uh, <laughs> I, I imagine there'll be heavy spoilers in this episode, so you may want to you know put this one down and come back to it after you've read the book. But uh, but yeah, so where do you want to start? Uh, ooh, where to start? Uh, let's talk about the boss score, man. <laughs> uh, why? <laughs> Uh, one of the parts I did agree about reading, uh, in the book, I think it's chapter four talking about, you know, sort of playing to the box score and, um, and how much importance that we, even for people who should know better, uh, put on that. Um, and so as an example, you know, your, uh, one of your colleagues, Zach Lowe has been screaming for the high heavens, two for 11, two for 11, two for 11, every single time we bring up James Harden's playoff record. And I'm like, um, I mean, I watched some of those series and like definitely like the one against the Spurs uh, when Kawhi was out, definitely like unacceptable. Uh, but, you know, when I look back on, uh, it, I always go back to the 2018 series against uh, Golden State. And while Harden's numbers in that series weren't great, um, I view that as one of the sort of failings of the box score, which is uh, his performance in the series is not necessarily, it it can't be captured in terms of what happened in the box score. Um, And so I I guess my question is, you know, why, even for people who should know better, why is that the first thing that we look at (laughs) in terms of evaluating like playoff series and sort of how well things went uh, at the end of the day? Uh, And this leads to my next point, but I just want to start there. Um, So I think, and I get, I, I occasionally get pushback on this from people who think I'm, I'm way too hung up on this. I think like just the mere act of naming something is, <laughs> is, is sort of can, can imbue it with importance, especially if it's sort of because that name becomes a convention. So the things that are in the box score have been named and that naming and then that naming and like putting it over a column is almost like anointing them as things that matter. Right. Um, and that's and and you know we do when we're talking about these things. There's so much going on that we do need us. We do need to simplify, and we do need shorthand. 
And they, you know, actually, you know, not as good as, as baseball does. But the basketball box score doesn't do a terrible job. And so we've right. kind of come to rely on it more and more. And we now to the point where we don't even realize the degree to which some of these things aren't real. They're all they're all made up. They're all <laughs> they're all constructs. We could have, you know, I, I, I think I think I made the point in the book that if we'd have come up with different naming conventions, like if we'd have <laughs> if instead of there being rebounds, we'd have just had ball recoveries and that would right. have encompassed loose balls and, and what are now loose balls and rebounds and steals. Like, I think we would think about the game very differently just by the nature of that being sort of the thing we capture instead of if the ball hits the rim and comes to yep. you, that's a rebound, you know, and the, right. <laughs> like the Tory, if you remember when Torian Prince was at Baylor, like when they <laughs> asked, it's like, see, the ball comes off the rim <laughs> and then you grab it, that's a rebound. And they got more of those when someone was giving him like a snotty question after they lost to Yale right. teams. Um, yeah. Yeah, of course. I, I remember that. It was, it was a great, great moment in Yale history uh, as an uh, unfortunate alumni of the school because they were just letting anybody in uh, for a couple <laughs> of years. A little bit low on cash. Uh, but yes, I, I remember putting quite a bit of money on that game. Um, and that's in one time. It actually was a good idea. So, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, rebounds being, and, and you go into quite, quite the dialogue on that, um, particularly uh, talking about the Lopez brothers, uh, which I, you know, I actually want to talk about them in a little bit in more detail as well. Um, but yeah, the rebounding piece that it, it sort of plays a role. Um, I guess the other question is, uh, you know, sort of what, uh, the, the star du jour of that chapter, uh, Russell Westbrook. I mean, I guess, I, I guess, you know, just to sort of encompass it, you know, how do you think his season, or let me put it like this. Do you think his season is a sort of knock-on effect on people being so attentive to the numbers that it uh, masked the deficiencies in his play to the point where people just thought he was an infinitely better player than he actually was at this point in his career? Um, I think that's too strong. I think that there were seasons after that where I think the, his, the, the numbers kind of, you know, hey, averaging triple-double is cool, um, and then that that sort of I think to a degree that became the goal over playing quote unquote winning basketball and I, I'm sure. not even sure that that was like intentional I think that like the two probably in in his mind were sort of got got conflated a little bit it's like hey if I get a triple double we win so let me get this triple double and it's yeah. like no if we're if we're playing well and we win I tend to you know the opponent tend to miss tends to miss shots so there's rebounds for me to get and my teammates are getting good shots and making them so I tend to get assists <laughs> um so it's you know the 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 whole causation thing backwards it's the you know the uh what's it what's it the rule of 42 or something like that for like the like the number of of like running plays or something like there's some like, oh, yeah. stupid thing in in, in football where it's just like <laughs> no if you get to this number we win it's like no if you win <laughs> you get to that number and right. and it, and so it, it's a little bit of that I think again I think he was a he was an excellent player that year and uh, as as Kevin Pelton has chided me about multiple times as a supporter of Westbrook for MVP that year like the triple double wasn't the only case. And the better yes. case was probably he was he had he he did these things and also he had I think he might still have that season might be the like the highest win probability added season in yeah. Mike Bowie's database. And so that's a 
that's a that that's probably a better argument than oh triple double because like if you look at like impact metrics like Harden and and Kawhi were were more impactful that year but right. if you but if you flip it around and say okay yeah over the course of the game but in these in these parts where like it, it isn't a continuous points per hundred matters it's a binary you win or you lose Westbrook was great in those in in those times that year and like you know. This is something that we're probably going to see with DeMar DeRozan next year. Like, that's probably oh, no. not that's probably not sustainable. Like, no, DeRozan was was incredible in the <laughs> this year. So, like, he was very like impactful in terms of wins and losses this year. But I think that the you know whatever per one hundred plus minus metric you want to use is more portable across seasons than like you know clutch shots win in or not. <laughs> um, which which I think is less portable and is likely to regress next year. Um, so even if he may have been like, I don't know, better, more impactful, more valuable, whatever than some some other players, like I don't think he's a better player than I don't know. Pick pick someone who's who's pretty good who didn't who didn't have like I don't know Jimmy Butler maybe like sure. think, yeah. Um, you know, he he may have had a better, more impactful season, but I don't think he's a better player. And I think that, you know, the playoffs probably illustrate that to a degree, but yeah. I, I promise this won't be a, a, uh, a re, uh, a, a judgment of the 2015, 2016 war, uh, OKC warrior series, but, uh, that will be probably a lot of the branches that, that series is probably one I went back to the most as I was reading the book, uh, for a variety of reasons, just because I, I, I mean, I think, you know, talk about sliding doors moments and one of the, like the most impactful moments in NBA history. I mean, that has to be like in the top five, uh, if, that series or the subsequent series after goes any other way. We're talking right. about a very different NBA landscape than we have right now. Um, I mean, if you want to, if you want to go, yeah. if you want to go like even more micro than that, like uh, clay, like yes. going, going supernova, like yeah. cha- change the course of NBA history. Yes. Like, it, like, you know, guys can go crazy and like, maybe they can swing a game or even a series or title. But I think that like, in terms of everything was different afterwards, um, I think that, you know, that, that was maybe not the only cause, but that was sort of the last domino or, or the biggest domino to fall to, yeah, to, to do a lot of things. Like you think about like, not just Durant going to the Warriors, but you know, the Warriors win one title and then lose to OKC after the regular season they had. And then how like tarnished is the pace and space shoot a lot of threes brand. Right. And, and then I, I, you know, I honestly don't think Cleveland is winning um, against that version of the OKC team. Um, and so, you know, now, you know, what does that do to LeBron's legacy, and sort of how does that manifest itself? Um, do we ever? Yeah. Do we have to pay any attention to Kyrie ever again if that doesn't? <laughs> Uh, uh, that probably, uh, probably more so his teammates will say we never have to pay attention to Kyrie again, particularly the ones in Boston. Uh, if, if he doesn't have that uh, uh, faded shot go in for him, but you know, even just you know, even taking a step back, you know, that OKC team, the way they were constructed, was such a a deviation from the pace and space era of you have you know, a complete non-shooting wing uh, in your starting lineup in Andre Roberson. Uh, you have a complete non-shooting big man uh, as, as your starting center. And then a bunch of question marks coming off the bench. 
and, and even with that, you still had, you know, I think OKC was top five offense for like, you know, four of those five years with both, you know, Russ and, and Durant, even with like as rudimentary as their offense was. And the reason why that comes up to me is like, even when I look now, I, I, I've been probably too much of a Russ apologist over the years, just because not necessarily because of how hard he plays. I think that's overblown, but I think the critiques on you can't win with this guy particularly because of how his lack of shooting affected the box score, um, I thought was overblown given how well that team played in the playoffs, you know, going to the finals at least once. Uh, I think they had two other Western Conference Finals appearances and probably should have won that series against Golden State uh, and just did not. The narrative coming out of that was, well, you know, KD left because Russ's flaws cost him that series. And it just always burned in my craw. I was like, I don't know, because Kevin Durant was like not necessarily lighting the world on fire in game six or seven either for very much the same reasons that Boston was able to not shut him down, but slow him down enough to sweep the Nets this series. I was like, I felt like not necessarily got away with it because, you know, he's still an amazing player and all that. But I felt like that part of his those flaws in his game never truly went away, and they were just able to out-talent that in Golden State, where it wasn't enough of an issue. And then, I don't know, I, I think he even admitted uh, on like the J.J. Reddick podcast that like last year in Milwaukee, it was less so, uh, I mean, him obviously playing amazing, but also my uh, Milwaukee schemed him in a way that allowed him to sort of maximize his strengths while minimizing his weaknesses as a playmaker. So I don't know if you have the same assessment, but I, I just sort of felt like I saw this Boston series coming at some point in time. And I was like, finally, this is like what you're supposed to do against this all world scorer is the one thing that he's not great at is take advantage of putting, taking the ball out of his hands. And I, I, I just, yeah, uh, I, I don't know what your thoughts are. We're watching that series. Well, wow, that's that's a lot there. Like, first of all, there's yes. there's, there's um, it, it's funny. Even like, I'm I'm not a Russ apologist, but it's but it is like blaming like I. This, it's a weird thing. Is like the thing we we tend to do a thing where sometimes it's 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 justified, but usually it's kind of not. Is like we blame the best player for the failings yeah. of their teammates, or in this case, uh, like you know, you you mentioned all the flaws, like the the playoff exploitable flaws of those Oklahoma City teams. And it's like no, if you'd have had, if they'd have had like like you know one like legit three and D wing in those years, like they win a title and, and Katie yeah. doesn't leave, like you know, so it's like there's there there are some some errors in in, in team building that are, are 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 a much more proximate cause than yeah, like the you know Russ takes bad shots and blah blah blah, but if if like if that that's instead of Andre Robertson, it's like today's Mikhail Bridges, like yes. You know, and you know, I'll be on that. Like that team, I think that was was it the thirteen fourteen season that uh, that in the that uh, Pat Bev like got yeah. Russ in the knee. Like that's one of the, that's in the last decade, decade and a half. That's right. one of the best teams to not win a title. Right. That's like that. That's uh, they're up there, like legitimately up there with like the fifteen sixteen Warriors uh, as as like best team to not like that was a. Like I like to look at how teams perform against the other like top eight, yeah. top ten teams in the league. That that was one of the best that they crushed top level opposition that year. Home road didn't matter. Offense, defense didn't matter. They were and then, you know, then they're done essentially, like in the first half of the first game of the playoffs. Um 
No, the the, mm, the KD Boston stuff. I mean, I you know, <laughs> there's there like okay. So you you take the ball. You, you have you know you have a small rotation that includes six plus defenders, right. and you take all the other you know all like all, most of the other good playmakers off of KD's team and make them completely disorganized because they the roster has been in complete flux all year for any number of reasons. Yes, that is a good way to. Like I don't like this is just the like this this Brooklyn like I don't even know what you take away what lessons there are to take away I feel I feel like it's <laughs> I mean the one lesson is don't rely on Kyrie but that's you know sure. that's but beyond that like I don't know what else you take from this other than it's just like you know this is one of the ultimate shit happens seasons so and it's it, it's convenient to say oh built not bought blah 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 but it's just like a lot had to go wrong like Joe Harris yeah. injury and. Like you know, KD KD's injury happening when it did at the height of the, of you know the, the the surge that was causing all the replacement players. So they were down guys, and so they were like, "Oh man, we we're in we're in bad straits. So we need to bring Kyrie back." And then the knock on effects of doing that, and and then you know they they make a good trade for Simmons, but it turns out his back is jacked up, and we found out today that or yesterday that he had back yeah. surgery. Um, you know, and you know that that. You know the, that team with a health the, that same team that showed up against Boston with a healthy Ben Simmons. That's so. That's a, suddenly a very inter, a much more interesting series than the sure. one we saw. And further, like they, they, they lost four games by eighteen points. Yeah, like, this is the most competitive, like one of the most competitive sweeps of all time. And it, like people aren't going to remember like the bonkers end of game one, how Boston came back to win the game. Right. Uh, so it's like you know, like so let's 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 not draw too many lessons here from like you know, from you know uh, fifty like you know uh, uh, pocket pair versus two overcards going one way or the other. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So this is a good segue to my next point. <laughs> my next complaint. Uh, it actually, it, it's a good one. I mean, it's uh, it, it actually has a lot of rele- uh, re- uh, relevance right now. Uh, given how well uh, Phoenix is playing at the at the moment in in, in their current uh, playoff run, uh, uh, it, it, it has to do with uh, your boy Chris Paul. <laughs> um, you know, you pointed out there's a there's a graph in there for those who haven't read, uh, uh, which is like the is it turnover RAPM? Yeah, it's it's turnover R, turnover RAPM and opponent turnover RAPM. So basically, yeah, so, who's yeah, on ahead, the sorry. who's on the who's on the floor when like how like. You know, controlling for everyone else, whose team turns the ball over more or less when they're on the floor, and how much does, and who is who plausibly induces the opposition to turn over more or is very bad at forcing turnovers. And you know, Chris Paul is over like a lengthy stretch is like the most like is the Pareto frontier by a wide margin in like doing both well. It's like a Google Maps if you were zoomed in on like the middle of America, like Kansas. Uh, and everybody's like clustered between like Kansas and like Oklahoma or something like that. And, and, and if you kept zooming out the map, like uh, in the chart, kept zooming out, zooming out, zooming out to get Chris Paul in the chart, like you have to like zoom Maine. out all the way to get to New York, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, uh, he, he was so far uh, in the stat that you identified, um, and you're talking about this sort of possession game and the importance of that. And Chris Paul undoubtedly uh, throughout his career has been, uh, especially in the regular season, you know, one of the, you know, best, you know, you hear, uh, you see all the games he has 
10 assists, zero turnovers, you know, you know, 15 assists, two turnovers, just a complete mastery of the game. Uh, but, you know, looking at Chris Paul's playoff career in aggregate, there's just always, you know, there's two things that always bug me about that. One, which is obviously well known about, you know, the propensity just at the most inexplicable moments for that uh, magical ability to, uh, you know, protect the ball um, and make the right plays with it. You know, uh, game five against OKC in 2015 with the Clippers. Um, I think there's a couple games last year where it was just like, you know, in the fourth quarter, you just threw the ball away. That, that in itself, it happens to anybody. It just looks worse when Chris Ball does it just because of it's so such a uh, discrepancy from how he normally plays. The thing to me that always, uh, I always, I, I said Chris Paul is like the second most overrated player of all time in the past. Wow. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way anymore. I have other, I have many other players I, I have in that ranking now. Um, I think he's getting his proper just due for how well he's played since he's been in Phoenix. Uh, but the one thing I did and it manifested itself in last year's uh, finals was, I think, unfortunately, Chris Paul is so wired for efficiency, and I said this about Kevin Durant as well. You know. In comparison to a Russell Westbrook or Kobe Bryant, even a little bit Michael Jordan, is I don't think Chris Paul will allow himself to have like a a, uh, a seven of twenty one game or you know a you know a, a six of nineteen game where he's just like I know my team might go down to that scenario, but I'm just going to try to shoot my way out of it. I'm not going to rely on like lesser talents, you know, as good as Jay Crowder is or even Mikhail Bridges. I'm not going to allow them to sort of like you know, make the deciding play on this. I'm just going to force the issue and do that. And I don't think Chris Paul has ever allowed himself to do that. And as a result, I, I think I pointed out, like, if you look at his usage rate in last year's finals, the only finals MVPs that had usage rates that low were Andre Iguodala and Chauncey Billups. Uh, and I was like, it just pained me that he did not just, like, see the opportunity to, like, take control of that series up to zero and grab it. And Giannis and Devin Booker were really the ones deciding the end outcome of that series. And so even given the, the very strong points that you made about his willingness and ability to, to take care of the ball like no other, I think that has kind of been a, a detriment to him at the wrong time in his career. I guess my, my counter when you're saying that he's not wired to, you know, like if I can reduce it to not wired to be like an alpha scorer. Sure. Is that, I mean, if that's, if I can be reductive. And I think my response to that is kind of, so what? <laughs> like, I don't know. I think that like, you know, I think this is, this is sort of the curse of MJ is sure. that that's, you know, that's what the best player looks like. And it's like, okay, well, like, you know, there are plenty of players who were the best player in the game who didn't look like that. Like, you know, all right, we can argue back and forth bill russell or or, or wilt chamberlain at least at least the second best player in the league at that time was not that like kareem like was definitely a scorer but he did a lot of other stuff bill walton was was you know before he before his body broke was not that like bill like bill walton was sort of like proto Jokic, like but much better defensively but without that like a must get bucket um kind of thing that Jokic has developed so i think that we've become sort of mono-focused on, right. like, one mold of star. So when a guy breaks out of that a little bit, we struggle to deal with them. And I think that's why it's hard to, you know, everyone from Rudy Gobert to Jimmy Butler to, um, you know, to, to Drew Holiday to, to, at times, Giannis. And, like, now Giannis has, has you know, he's become that, that, that yes. more alpha scorer. So that's kind of obviated that. But still, like, I think that that, you know, almost to it becomes almost a detriment to 
to players to think they have to, you know, it's a, diff, a different sort of line of reasoning. But I think that, like, in some ways, the demand that he be that ruined Dwight Howard's career. That and back in sure. but but you know, <laughs> but Although- like you know he. The like he was he was uh, legitly one of the the top two or three players in the league, but it wasn't. But he didn't you know he didn't barbecue chicken in the post, and so he wasn't any good, <laughs> according to you know some. And so, I think yes. I think and I think he listened to that and he decided I need my post touches, and then to his team's to his team's detriment and to the detriment of his own game. Yes. Okay. I mean, I, I don't disagree on, on that. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, this actually goes in, in, into the next point. Yeah, so I feel very strongly. So can I can I can I yeah, put a bow on that a little bit? Like, yes. I, like it's it's one of those things that that we we tend to lose sense of proportion. Like, I'll concede that like shot creation is the single most important skill, but that doesn't mean it's the it's the only skill that's important. And I think that like you know that like yeah, Chris Paul probably isn't the best player because he's not the most elite shot creator but he's so good at all these other things and a decent shot creator. And you add all that together and that still puts him pretty high. How, whatever kind of, you know, it's not like these other things count for zero. And the only thing that the only, the only slider that matters is shot creation. And I feel like too often that the argument gets reduced to just that. Yes. And no. So I am in general agreement with the premise of that. Uh, I think, you know, I go back to my, you know, limited capacity as a basketball player. And I was more of a Jose Alvarado, Patrick Beverly type more than anything. And, you know, I always go back to the situations where I was unfortunately stressed as a scorer because, you know, our leading scorer got suspended or, you know, he's off on a trip with his girlfriend. And it's like, cool, Watkins, we need you to, like, get 10 points for us. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know if that's in anybody's best interest for that. And my concern has always been with uh, Chris Paul particularly on probably rosters that were even more talented than what he has here in Phoenix is that less so about Chris Paul per se as an individual and his ability to be an alpha scorer and more so where those shots being redistributed to. And so him passing up on a shot that, you know, maybe a Russell Westbrook would have taken is fine if it's creating a better shot overall for his teammates. The problem comes in is when those situations are, you know, Jay Crowder, you know, contested three or campaign, you know, having a 27% usage rate because somebody has to score on like the second unit. Um, and so that it's more so those situations where I question, is that the best thing for the team or you taking a contested jumper? It might not be the best thing, but much rather you take a contested jumper that goes in at a 40% clip than someone else taking one that goes in at 31%. I think the better, like in terms of playoff failings of Chris Paul, the better example is who do you want taking that shot, Chris Paul or Jamal Crawford? Yes, exactly. And that's you know yeah, that's the, what I was referencing. Yes, yeah, and 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 you know that one might ask, well, why is Jamal Crawford in the game instead of JJ Redick? But that's like <laughs> that's 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 rehashing like you know the, the Clippers stuff from half from a decade ago. So yeah, and, you know, so basically, like like you know, I I, I posit like take Chris Paul's playoff resume and just like, you know, men in black neuralize the sure. Doc Rivers coach games out of it. And what does his playoff resume look like? <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know that Doc will get uh, shot uh, straight shots today, but I'm not surprised uh, to say the least. Um, uh, I, I want to get on something else that you had touched on briefly uh, about Rudy Gobert. Um, 
and uh, and there's but a. Do, do we have to talk about Rudy? <laughs> we, we, we don't have to talk about okay. Rudy, but okay. I do think we have to talk about the 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 part that you're talking about. You know, where yeah. it's like, do we this narrative of you can only win with a ball dominant player, um, and you know, even you know, uh, what is it? You know, back Twitter in the back Twitter. Uh, you know, talk about Giannis last year and Gobert not being able to punish post ups and all of that. Uh, and, and there's a segment of the book talking about 16 game versus 82 game players. Uh, while there is a narrative discourse around Rudy Gobert around his actual value as a top level player and like a top 10 NBA player, the reality of the situation is, you know, even just looking objectively at the stats, his defensive impact is lessened overall in the playoffs than it is in the regular season uh, in comparison to a guy like Draymond, which, you know, his stats normally take a boost in the playoffs versus regular season. So do you believe that there is a true differentiation between the 16 and 18, uh, 82 game player and particularly at the, at the highest level, not just like, Hey, you know, uh, Kyle Korver or not even Kyle Korver. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, Kobe white or something like that, who, you know, just has no place in a playoff rotation. Uh, but do you believe that that actually exists for like a level defender between like Rudy Gobert and Draymond Green? Um, I know. I, I think that like saying that different skills are in a playoff environment become more important. Sure. Um, but like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like, it's weird. Everyone acknowledges that Brooke Lopez is, is pretty damn important for the Bucks right. with, with, with like other defensive talent around him. And so it's just like, and, and like Gobert's better at those things. Like, like, like Lopez is elite, but Gobert is still better at those things. And so it's right. like you, you swap those two and yeah, offensively that, you know, you don't space the floor, blah, blah, blah. But talking just about defense. Like, and so it's, it's, you know, the problem, like, I think this, that ties in with why defense is hard is because it's, um, uh, you know, I think that, um, I can't take credit for this, but, but I think someone put it this way that like offense is a strong link thing and defense is a weak link thing. Yes. And like in the playoffs, at least. And in the regular season, in the regular season, you can kind of you can kind of strong link your way to a pretty good defense, and then that allows teams to maybe have fooled themselves that their defense will hold up better than it possibly can because right. of those weak links. Um, and I, but I think I actually think that like to some degree, like playoff basketball is becoming weak link overall. Like you know, just seeing guys just not get guarded. <laughs> and, and, and that's frank and that's frankly more perimeter players even than yeah. than than like all but sort of the most incompetent bigs i think that right. like you know they still get guarded like you still have to box like you know you still have to box them out you still have to yeah. not let them get lobs it's more it's even much more the uh the like the non-shooter standing in the corner is like oh cool you're standing there bye um <laughs> so um you know, no, but if you're talking about a guy's place in the firmament, like, yeah, a guy like, and this is, this is not in the book. This is more like talking about player tier stuff. Yeah. A guy who has like, is harder to build around. Like if he's your best yeah. player, that is harder to construct a championship team around that skill set than it would be, you know, a primary ball handling guy because it's easier to find pieces to fit around them and blah, blah, blah. But that's why that that's that like that's why you know, uh, like ball handlers are better than Rudy. Sure, you know? it's sort of like yeah, he's, that's that's why he's the even though he's like one of the top two three defensive players in the league. That's why he's the 
18th, 20th, 22nd best player in the league instead of the 12th. Uh, yeah, I wish you could see the cringe on my face. Wait, you think I'm you think I'm like like going way too high on on him, even even at that level? That no, 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 no. I, I think it's obviously. I think you, I think you're under. I think you're underestimating him a bit. Uh, I mean, I had I'd have to look and see. I probably I, I he'll sure. probably end up somewhere in like the you know the mid teen the mid to high teens is is typically where he ends up in my oh. kind of estimation. Okay, all right. so if he if he was playing, not even on, let's not say Golden State, let's not do a straight up Draymond swap. If you put him on Minnesota, is that is that a much better team swapping him and and Carl Anthony Towns? I don't know. Like that that that's a that that's that that team is sort of uh, you know like Jared Vanderbilt probably becomes oh, maybe that's okay because then you're playing Jaden McDaniel's more so. Right. You know, it's kind of the 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 knock on effects are, but yes, that's a that's a better playoff team than Minnesota is if you if you just swap those two. Now Got that's it. that's that's sort of more about Towns' unreliability <laughs> right sure. now than it is pure ability. Um, so cool. I mean, I think I think the more interesting one is you you swap him and Bam. Yes, um, I think that I think that because of the way Miami is built. I think they probably are not as, quite as good. Um, but if you had swapped them and allowed them, you know, a year to build around that, they would be just as good, I think. You know? I think they're, I think they're broadly comparable levels of player. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. I, I, think, I think Miami is optimized towards what BAM does best. And, uh, and, Utah is not. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what Utah is optimized towards. I, I think they were trying to do that, and, and I mean, it, they, they, for for a time they were, and it's sort of like you you know you you live at that like min max optimization, and that you can only you can only live on that balance for so long, and you know they 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 you know as you know Mike Conley started to age and Joe Ingles started yes. to age and then got hurt and like some of their support players kind of thinned out um you know that they they kind of found themselves on the wrong side of that do teams not get enough credit i i i have this belief but i do you feel like teams like you saw uh you know James Harden Houston not get enough credit for building semi contention rosters without obvious out and out tanks and all or you know collusion to bring in star players. I think we do like the the erasure of the, the 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 teams that were relevant that didn't end up winning at all. I think it's always sort of a a, a problem. Like I think the the championship or nothing mentality is is tough. Like you know, first of all, it like just from a basketball standpoint, like some of those were pretty pretty good teams and did some really interesting things. Certainly, from like the Utah fans' perspective, those teams were 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 worth having around. Sure. Uh, you know, in like the like the other example is how often do we talk about like the early 2010s Pacers? Correct. Not enough. You know, yeah, and that was like that. That was a that was a, a great team that is sort of just you know it's mostly remembered for like one photo shoot and Roy Hibbert like falling off the face of the earth than it is like how good like. Than them putting the fear of God into the into the LeBron Heat, <laughs> like you know, like the, the the like the Harden like the Harden's Rockets taking that Golden State team to seven yes. games, like 
you know it, how good you have to be? <laughs> it, it, it is the greatest. To me, it is the greatest accomplishment in NBA history that would ever be recognized. I, they took, I, I think I look, you know, just doing quick math. They took five games off of that team. LeBron, LeBron and the Cavs, who were still, you know, very decent at that period, took one in, in, across two series. And, and they get zero credit for it. Yeah. And it, and it's you know the you can get into the you can get into the where they fatally flawed was it unlucky sure. go for twenty seven blah 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 um, it's some of both but like I mean I think we're we're just we're bad at counterfactuals so yeah um, the uh, the other so the other chapter uh, that I wanted to get into very quickly um, is uh, is uh, lovely chapter number thirteen <laughs> uh, about the pitfalls of the NBA draft. Um, and uh, more specifically, uh, you know, you start to get into, uh, the, the evaluation of players, the process and all of that. Um, obviously we're seeing a, a very important scenario of that play out, which is the 20, 2019, which is the Luca draft. Yeah. Yeah. 2019. So you got number one versus number three and eight versus Luca. No, sorry. Uh, 2018 was, was the Luca draft. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so you have eight versus Luca. Um, and two very different scenarios. And obviously, you know, I think the Suns would want that pick back uh, just to get Luka. Um, but I also think it kind of probably worked out best for them in a way that might not have worked had they got Luka. Um, but, my, but my real question is, you know, you sort of talk about development and players and skills. And I think, you know, some of the conversation is around, like, aging curves for players um, and sort of building around that. Um and you know, my concern for Luca in his current iteration is I feel that the Mavericks have made the mistake that the Pelicans made, uh, that the ooh, the Pelicans made with Anthony Davis, that they're making again with with uh, with Zion. Um, and I, think, I mean, I think it's a mistake that, that like the Bucks made at times with with Giannis. And you well, know, and and I was a part of that. Like I think there was like <laughs> there was a little bit of RK. We've got enough of this, so let's do other yes. things. And I think yeah. that's 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 almost always wrong. What? Uh, so if, if we've got enough, of, we've, we've got it. We've got playing to win. Yeah. Or it's like, or it's it's you know, okay. Well, we don't want to do anything to take the ball out of his hands. It's like, sure. Eh, yeah, you kind of do. Like, you know, you know, like it's not like you know, it's not like Luca's going to become like a you. You put another like ball handler on a team. It's not like Luca's going to drop to like a a seventeen usage, like you know. So it, I think that I think that is a mistake that 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 teams have made. Like, okay, we're trying to maximize what this one guy is, so we don't we need people to get out of the way. It's like your goal isn't to maximize what that player does. Your goal is to. Sure maximize the team and those are sure. sometimes the same but i think that um i think this is a this is a drawback of you know of 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 heliocentrism is that a lot of you can maximize a player's production but how much of that is sort of of and the way i put it in the book is like you know an nba team shows up and they have 80 points how many? How many of those eighty points are you assigning to this guy just by putting the ball in his hands all the time? How many of the fifteen, twenty assists you get are you assigning to this guy? Right. Those aren't. That's not adding anything. That's just like distribution of like the table stakes. Right. I I, I think the concern I have, particularly when it comes to the Mavs, and actually a little bit with Trey Young as well, is that 
you know, these guys come in so, you know, they, you know, they perform at an all NBA level, you know, their first or second year. And the response for almost every front office is like, great, let's go all in, you know, uh, Travis Slank, you know, you know, let's get, you know, uh, uh, Danilo Gallinari, you know, let's just blow 20 million in cap space on that. And, you know, let's make the playoffs now. Same thing with Luca. You know, let's, you know, immediately trade two first rounds. First rounders for Chris Porzingis. And I think that's much more defensible than spending 20 million on the gallon. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 okay. Sorry. Yes. Yes. That move. Yes. Okay. Uh, Yes. In comparison relative to to that, I see what they were trying to do. Uh, There were reasons to be against it, both on court and off court, but I see what they were trying to do. But I just feel that there's always this. And, when it, and, I, and I don't know if it's just a ticking clock of front offices. You would know better than I do. But I think it's just always this rush to try, like, to get the first player, to get the first star. And once you have it, like, cool, we checked out the box. We're ready to contend. It's like, I, that just doesn't work. Like, you need, the game plan needs to be getting the second star, like, to me, over even getting the first one. Like, the first one is semi-easy to do. If you just tank enough, you can get the first star. It's like, what are you doing to surround that player with subsequent talent to start to make it work. Cause I think even Memphis might be looking at this issue in a year or two. If, you know, Jaron Jackson can't stay on the court or his three point shot never comes back. Like, what do you do to get that second star next to jaw? I mean, I think that there's yes, but also it's like, it, it's why you have to be very, you know, it's, you have to be very sort of uh, hard eyed about like, Okay. We've got an all NBA player. Is he an all NBA third team or is he an all NBA first team player? Because it's a big difference. Like, you know, all right, we got it's it's a little bit different saying, all right, well, we got our guy, and your guy is KD. Your guy is Giannis. Your guy, like the guys who I have, the guy, you know, this is spoiler alert, but I had this is what I had him at midseason. Like the tier one A guys I had were Jokic, Giannis, and, and KD. Yes. And like, you know, the difference between that and okay, we've got we've got John Morant, we've got our guy. Like as great as Jai is, like, right? You know, it's going to be hard for a Giannis team to ever be bad while he's at right. this level, and and you have you have a lot of you have a lot of room to like they're you know they're without their second best player and they still have a they still have more than a chip in a chair against a great Boston team because he's that right. good. So uh, are you calling John? As you point out in your book, are you calling John Morant the Gordon Hayward of this situation? No, I think that's way that's 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 way that's that's way under. No, no, no. You know, yeah. I mean, facetious, but I mean, I mean, but no, but but like the difference, yeah. the difference between like the tenth best player in the league and the third best player in the league yes. is massive, massive yes. in those terms. And yes. for a number of reasons, like you know, you start like you treat like for any for a number of reasons, a mistake teams make is is they get the fifteenth best player. It's like yeah, we're there, and they treat it like the fifth best player, and that's yeah. that like that's the mistake. As much or as much as like, let's go, you know. If you do like, you, if, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I, I was gonna say, do you think teams do enough? Just going back, you know, just quickly for Giannis as an example, like, you know, do you think Giannis gets to where he is if he doesn't go through that point Giannis stage with JK? Like, does another coach get him to the point where he's at now without that sort of? Weird interim period, or where PJ Carlisle was playing Kevin Durant at the two instead of the three. Like, what was that sort of moment in the wilderness actually advantageous to a player like that to get them to that point? That's a good question. Like, I, I, like, I, I started at the Bucks like right out after that season, 
So I don't, I, I like, I wasn't around for, I wasn't sure. around for, for that period. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Like player development is so mysterious to me still that like, if not for this, then, then what? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, just from a work ethic standpoint, like he was going to develop in some way. And then like, um, you know, I think he, a lot of the unlocking happened when the other players around him made a little more sense and the system around him allowed for kind of the maximization of his skills, not just his, his own maximization, but the maximization of it. And even that, like it took, it took, a, it, it took three years, like, you know, three, like it took like efforts and failures from, from yeah. like that bud construction to get it exactly right. Like the, like the first year when we, when we, like my last year at the Bucks when we lost to the Raptors, like there were some flaws in our approach that like showed up big time in that series against Toronto. And, you know, the, the next year, I mean, you know, the, the bubble year was all kinds of jacked for any number of reasons, but there's still some flaws yeah. in that team. And then, then all of a sudden, all right, you, you reinforce certain areas and most notably you, you get like the legit, like third, like star top ball handler, top wing defender in Drew Holiday. And all of a sudden now we're, you know, I thought Eric Bledsoe was good for us, but like he had some, he had some of those, no, he had some of those drawbacks. Yeah. So the way we played, like, did not, especially in the playoffs, did not suit the things he did well and highlighted the things he did poorly. Um, and, you know, that, um, was that still the best way for, I don't know, like, could we, could, could we have won a title with that first iteration? Yeah. Like, you know, we were, you know, we were close to going up three, three, nothing on Toronto. We were yes. also we were also very close to going down one zero in that series. So it's not like you know it's not like the luck is a one way ratchet here. Um, yeah. So, but no, it's it's like it's hard. Like that's <laughs> that's it's it's teams rarely get it right. Like it's it's so unusual for a team to get it right the first like right away, like almost as Golden State did. And how much right. of that was an accident? Like they stumbled into their best thing because David Lee got hurt. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, me and daddy had a fun discussion <laughs> about that on Twitter, uh, but yes, a hundred percent. And I think, you know, actually very similar, you know, same thing does go and say, reach the pinnacle that it does. If you swap Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr, I mean, I, I mean, I think we can all agree. Even me begrudgingly can agree that Steve Kerr is a superior coach and probably a better overall coach for this iteration of Golden State than Mark Jackson ever was. But does he have the, relative laxity to allow that version of Steph Curry and Clay Thompson to achieve the highest that they do, you know, probably, but we don't know. And and so, yeah, I think we saw in, I think we saw in, 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 in uh, 1920 that like might not be the best coach for a developing team. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's very fair. Yeah. And, 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 you know, quickly to wrap up, you know, I don't think Bob Myers gets nearly enough credit for, not only, you know, those players, but also a guy like Jordan Poole and getting Gary Payton. Uh, as people brought up today, Gary Payton was a 15 man on the roster and I was indispensable to Golden State's chances of potentially like knocking off Memphis. And like that to me, I mean, it's a hell of a credit to your GM, but also just like, 
you know, how do you get how do you get to that point where you know someone that was you know basically on a G League roster at the end of the year is now uh, very consequential to your title chances? That uh, that to me seems like you know a great job on his part, which is a recurring theme that I don't think he gets enough credit for. But uh, I digress. I mean, I think that we go all the way back to chapter one of the book. It's like it's you got to be good and lucky. Like yes. Brooke Lopez was a good signing for us. Um, I don't think anyone like anyone who says that they saw what he would would mean to us is defensively coming. Yeah, defensively, yeah, is absolutely lying. <laughs> like one hundred. Like I like we know. I we I I think I think we thought he could function. He could right. he could function in a defense and not be terrible, and then yeah. space the floor and stay on offense, and then he became an all defensive player. Like, and anyone who claims they saw that coming is out is is straight up lying to you. As I said, that, that was my favorite part of the book. I because I, I, uh, I followed Brooke Lopez's career, I thought Charlotte made a massive mistake and passing on him for Kemba Walker. Right, I think that's what happened. Um, and yeah, like him turning into the player that he did, and specifically being the perfect player to, to fit next to Giannis, and really only in that context does he become that player, uh, is why, to your point, like NBA player development is so weird because, like, you you watch the first 10 years of his career in Brooklyn and in LA, that's not the player you would have expected him to be at this point. Uh, but it was just the right situation, the right fit, and you guys got him for the right dollar amount. It was just perfect. And that's. I, that's why you know I always get on like the hockey folks about like it's best game and worst league. And I'm like, you can't just replicate that in any other sport of like the individual component of Yadis going for 40 in the playoff game, but also needing to have the spacing of Brook Lopez to make that happen. Like that just doesn't happen anywhere else. Well, and it's it's also just like the the, the really the unknown variable is the the personality to change your game that way. Yeah, like who like. I don't know. Would you like? Would 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 it have been predictable that that um, he kind of rescued it a little bit the last couple of years? But would anyone have? Who would have predicted that Vince Carter would have had a much more graceful kind of twilight than Carmelo Anthony? You know that yeah. like, and it's sort of the willingness and and. Uh, like malleability to like, okay, well, I played that way, but now I'm at a different point. Now I'm going to play this way. Like that's not uh, that's not everyone who can do that. I mean, I think you know. Again, not to go back to Russ, but like he's at the point where <laughs> to be a positive player, he needs to do that. And yeah. like by you know personality, inclination, ability, whatever, it remains to be seen whether he can do that. Or even Dwight Howard. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, going through the you know the Helen back of you know, it's, I mean, it's been like. Uh, at least six or seven years, he's been an uh, all NBA level player, and, and four or five teams, and going to Lakers twice to get to this point. Yeah, no, it, uh, the mental part is, I, I think, fairly misunderstood across the board. Um, which is why I love like players like JJ Redick, even Draymond, just explaining the mental. Even Kevin Durant, like I, I think, when I hear players talk about the game, I just get a much deeper understanding of X, not just the X's and O's, but here's why I was doing this, and here's like, okay, that makes perfect sense. And yeah, no, it's it, it, it's, it's the game beyond the game, which I give tons of credit for for people that truly understand it. No, I think I mean JJ is. JD is doing us all a service by, like Vito's by by getting people to be as candid as he does. Like you're actually, you know, you're you're getting, you know, their 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 viewpoint might not always be quote unquote accurate, but it but it gets it, it's something that rarely 
gets gets portrayed or described accurately in other media. And so just having having that outlet to see like this is what this is my perception, me, the the the, the guy in the arena, my perception of what's going on. Um is like a very useful counterweight to a lot of the the nonsense that we sometimes hear. Yeah. Uh okay, that's it. <laughs> is it okay. So but so you like the book though? <laughs> I, I, I like the book. I, I, I uh, as as much as I want to troll it or whatever, I was like finding myself like nodding my head vigorously, like yes, this is exactly, it. and more so from the perspective of uh, I think the applications are not just to basketball, but just to different aspects of life, um, especially when it comes to data and using it in the proper ways and ways to not use it. Um, yeah, I thought I thought it was a very easy read for. Um, some of the topics that were being covered, which is not always the case in situations like that. So I, I get kudos to you, sir. Uh, well, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's not, I mean, it is not an easy topic to pick the right level to, it's not a, an easy set of topics to pick the right level of complexity at which to write. Um, and I'm glad that I, I, for the most part, it does seem like people largely like where I landed. What was your biggest bone to pick? Have, have we gone through it already? Do you, what was your, like, what was the thing you were just like, nah, he's wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I, uh, like other than, other than like yeah. evaluations of specific players, because that's like, you know, sure. a, a lot of that, that says more about like the people disagreeing than it does about the underlying player. So it's just like, you know, my basketball philosophy and yours might be slightly different in some way. Um, but like, was there anything that you were just like, nah, that's that, it, that's not it. I mean, I think that I think that probably was it, and, and more so, you know, if, if we're allowed to bring outside things, and and, uh, and, and I've told you offline, obviously, like I, I think I appreciated your one A to B sort of uh, uh, breakdown of uh, play, your players here is probably most out of anybody's evaluation of players. Uh, do I agree with the players in those series? Absolutely not. But I, I, I like the approach. Uh, uh, you know, Anthony Davis being like a, a perfect example of. Uh, I like the approach of saying, hey, like this player, when you're trying to build around them, like Luca as a one, a plus, plus, plus on the offensive end and then like a three, you know, three C or something like that on the defensive end, uh, you have to account for that and just in terms of how you're building the team and what is easier to build around. And so I think um, that that discussion, uh, I think you broke it down properly in the difference between like the top 10 players and the top one players. Uh, I think the gap, that you display statistically made a lot of sense. I don't know if I agree with it as much uh, from a context perspective. Uh, I think a lot of the very, very top players that are considered in the NBA uh, from the, like the best analysts have also had very favorable context to their skill set. While I think the ones that maybe have not performed at the level that we expect of the top 10, like top five players have not necessarily had those scenarios. So like Damian Lillard, is he a, you know, or last year's Damian Lillard, is he a top 10 player? Maybe he's on the cusp. But I also don't think he was surrounded by nearly the talent that would allow us to properly evaluate him as a championship-level player. And same thing going back to Russ in 2015-16. A lot of people said, like, you can't win a championship with Russ. I'm like, I think you probably could have. It just didn't work out like that. And so that's probably the biggest discrepancy I had. No, I think that's – I mean, that that's sort of one of the – the low key unanswerable questions is like, we're, we're always going to think of like Steph on a different level as we do Dame. And I think, I think, I think, I don't want to say objectively, but I think there's a lot of, you know, context free, like Steph is a, like a substantially better defender 
than, yes. than, than, than Dame. And I think that can't be ignored. But at the same time, like, yeah, Dame has never had anything like the talent around him. And so what, like, you swap them, what does it look like? That's like, you know, those are, those are always fun parlor games. But at the same time, we can only go with what we've seen. And you can, so you do have to discount the unknown a little, but also, like, use our brains and, like, you know, this guy's playing in a terrible context. Like, yeah. You know, you, you, you do have to. So, and now it helps if it helps when we're doing that, if we've seen a player in both good and bad contexts. So we, so we have some degree of, it's not just wish casting that if you put the right guys around him, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that's very helpful to us. So sure. it's sort of like, Hey, what, what happens if you, you know, I don't know, like, if you put the right players around Zion, defense will be fine. Like, <laughs> I don't know. We might, I mean, Herb Jones, we might find out next year, but like, how, like, so yeah, I don't know. That's a, but that's a, that's a very fair point, but it's, it's also, it's like at a certain point you, you have to like, all right, we have, we've seen stuff. These things did happen. We have to credit them to some degree. Uh on the other one, this is just more of a, like a minor quibble, but I, I, I don't, uh, I, I think you have been leading the charge probably the most on the reduction of the schedule to, from 82 to 65 games leading to an improvement. I, I, I just don't buy it. Uh, even with the Spurs, like I think all of those guys aged out like from a low band perspective. I think those guys aged out at like the level you'd expect from a normal play in those positions, given the minutes they played. Tony Parker was out of the league at like 34. Mountie played like 25 minutes a game for his career. Uh, Tim was very good at the end of his career, but a lot of big guys are very good at the end of their career. So I just haven't seen enough evidence. I, I, I think I probably subscribe more to the fact that the game is harder to play now. And so even if guys are playing the same or less minutes, they're still more prone to get injured just because of the requirements, especially on the defensive end. Um, and so therefore you need to space it out more. But, you know, I just, I, I just don't see it. I, I just feel like the playoffs – People are still injured with all the rest and all yeah. of that, so I don't see the value of doing that from an entertainment I, value. Uh, I think no. I, I mean, it's 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 part of it is the the load management, and I think that like physically, like I had I had uh, I had, I had uh, a physical therapist on a couple of weeks ago. We talked, and he's just like, yeah, you should probably like about two like five games every two weeks is about right. And instead, <laughs> instead they play seven or eight. Yeah, and so just from from that standpoint, but also I just think from a, I think from a sort of a strategic quality of play standpoint, sure, like teams playing against each other actually prepared to play against each other. I think that's part of why the playoffs are more more interesting basketball. I mean, the intensity is obviously part of it, but it's yes. also like, all right, well they do this, so we're going to do that, so then they're going to do this, then we're going to like you just, that doesn't happen in the regular season. Because it, it just can't. Like you just don't have the you don't have the time or the mental bandwidth to make those. Like maybe some players, some teams can, but they're the exception rather than the rule. Just because, like, with the travel and the like. Okay, we're playing. Who are we playing tonight? Who am I guarding? Wait, he's on that team now. Like, when did he get? When did he get there? I thought he was on the. Yeah, I thought he was on Phoenix. Like, that's the like you know you that part. You know, with if if you consistently had you know, three full days to prepare for the next opponent. I think the game looks very different and better is so, it's such a weird term because like it, it would be at a higher level of competition, whether that would be a better, more entertaining game. 
yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> like that. That's sort of uh, like, and what is entertaining? Like, if everyone was like, "Man, the game is great now," then people would say, "Yeah, it's entertaining." And so right. it's like, oh, everyone plays the same now. It sucks. It's boring. It's like it's not actually true. <laughs> but like yeah, you, say, it, it, you, say, it, it, you say it enough and people believe it and then it becomes true enough from a standpoint of like evaluating as entertainment so I don't know yeah no that's fair yeah um, yeah so I mean those are more minor quibbles but for the most the fact that you got me to agree to most of what you were saying seems to me like a massive win if anyone follows me on Twitter so. <laughs> this is this is this, this might be the first time you've agreed with me ever about anything yeah this is also true yeah this is also true <laughs> Well, Chris, I appreciate you uh, you coming on. Uh, you have you uh, I I know you're you're not so much in the game anymore. But uh, do you have anything you want to plug before we get out of here, or you just want to, uh, or do you just want to plug my book and say go buy it? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we, we plug your book. I, I I probably am planning on doing something over the 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 summer. Um, uh, but I think you know books like this and all this stuff. You know, I'm very uh, interested in like you know, how tracking is used and stuff like that, because I, I see it taking resonance over more sports. And so just, uh, you know, like your book and your experience with it, some of the stuff that you're doing now um, and, and your current lines of work uh, are very helpful in terms of understanding that. So, so yeah, so I, I will plug you and say, if you're not oh. already plugged into the stuff, part no ecosystem, you know, definitely uh, uh, <laughs> take part in it. Uh, if I ever have anything to, to plug, I, I'll make sure to, to bug you again, just to bring me on for, for some free publicity. And I, you know, like I said up front, this is the most self-indulgent podcast <laughs> I, I have ever done or likely will ever do. So uh, thank you for having the idea to uh, to talk about me. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. I'm happy to do it uh, whenever you need, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, th- thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, I will be back uh, next week with more live content. And I think it's probably going to depend on... Oh, what has happened? I have some ideas, but I haven't nailed anything down yet because it's two weeks away from when I'm recording. So thanks for listening. Talk to you all soon. Take care.